life of David. Well, um, when you look back upon your life and you think about some key interactions in your life, emotions usually come with those interactions with people, right? You can think back upon a time. If I said, think back upon a time when, and you could probably like get choked up. And what I've realized is there's two types of interactions that evoke the most emotion within us. The first type of interaction is this. You can go back to a time where you or someone close to you was, was, was treated with great cruelty, with great injustice, right? That invokes anger. That invokes, you know, your, your sense of, like, justice that you want that to happen. And so I could ask you a time that you say, oh, yeah, I'll never forget when. And I guarantee your cortisol will start pumping and you'll get a little angry, won't you? On the flip side of that, I could ask you, tell me about a time when you were shown incredible kindness from somebody that pulled your heartstrings. What happened? What did they do for you? And you would probably tear up and say, I cannot believe that this person or these people would do this for me. And today what I want to show you is, I want to show you from David's life, there was a time when he experienced extreme cruelty and extreme injustice, but he made a decision because of God's kindness to him to extend that. Now, we've given the life of David so far. Last week, we were talking about David and Saul and Saul chasing David. And, uh, you know, he was the current king. David was the king coming up. God had anointed him. And Saul hated David. I mean, he made his life miserable, chased him in and out caves and, you know, just treated him very poorly, cruelly. And after Saul died, Saul died in battle by killing himself, putting his own sword. He didn't want anybody to kill him. He killed himself with suicide. Jonathan, his son, died. And Jonathan was David's best friend. And Jonathan was incredibly kind to David through all of it. And years later, David's pondering about these things. We often think about these things. Did you ever find yourself thinking about something from 20 years ago and somebody treated you badly? <laughs> and you have this imaginary conversation with them. If you could say, I just go back in time, I just tell you, you know. <laughs> And David is thinking and musing about this, about the house of Saul, about the cruelty of Saul, the kindness of Jonathan. And he asked a question to a servant who was one of Saul's servants, and he says this here. It says, one day, 2 Samuel 9, verse 1, one day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone who I, whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. He says, are you Ziba, he asked. Yes, sir, I am, Zebra replied. The king then asked him, is there anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Now, he had to go to Zeba and find out because at this point, anybody alive in Saul's family is in hiding, right? You have to understand how this, these things operated back in the day and times that when a new king took over, especially if it was a, it was a battle or one king hated the other, the, the family who didn't, who wasn't in charge, Again, you're in hiding because you're their rival. They would find you and kill you. And so David looked for this rival, right, the house of Saul. And you've got to think about this too. Him looking for him, Mephibosheth, who you'll get introduced to in a second, that's the guy that's alive. He would have been the next in line to be king. He would have been the next one because Saul and Jonathan got killed. So David is asking to find the guy who would have been king. It's almost like a replay between Saul and David. You know, like, like let me find somebody who's, who's a rival. Let me find somebody there. And look what David does, though. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. In Lodabar, 
Ziba told him, at the home of Machir, son of Amel. Now, it's very important in verse 4 to re- recognize this. He didn't even have his own house anymore. Mephibosheth used to eat at the king's table. He was the son of, uh, and, and grandson of, of, ki- of a king. And now he, has, he doesn't have his own home. He is crippled. And he got crippled, which you'll find out, whenever the, um, the, when Saul died, the whole house went into just a turmoil. I can't believe Saul's dead. And somebody dropped the baby and it broke his feet and he was crippled. So this guy is paralyzed in his feet, can't walk, and he is living at somebody else's house and he doesn't even have his own table anymore. He had lost everything. And it says this here, Lodabar means no word, no communication, no pasture. He was isolated, he was alone. Verse five says this, so David sent for him and brought him from Akir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect, and David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth was probably scared at this point. He's thinking, this guy's gonna take my head off. I am the last living rival to his throne. And Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Verse seven says, David said, don't be afraid. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat with me here at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? And the king summoned Saul's servant, Ziba, and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Verse 11, Ziba replied, yes, my lord the king, I am your servant and I'll do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Don't miss that. That's one of the keys to the message today. In verse 12, says, Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. And from, and from Om, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and regularly ate at the king's table. Now, what I want to do is draw a parallel today. Anytime you read, especially a narrative in the Bible, like the Old Testament or something, you're reading that, you gotta find where do you fit in that story, right? Like, so, so where will we fit in the story? And here, what I want you to do is understand that in this story, where we would fit, we would be Mephibosheth. Because what you see here in 2 Samuel 9 is actually a parallel to the gospel. This is God foreshadowing what the gospel is to us. And when you look at this, you have to understand that Mephibosheth was an enemy to the kingdom. He was a rival to the kingdom. He was crippled. He was isolated. He was alone. He had no place of his own. And David shows up to him, surprisingly, pursues him, comes to him, and what does he do? He says, I am now going to let you eat at my table. He should have been at the executioner's table. He ended up at the king's table. And the parallel for you and I is this, that we, we were cut off from God. Lodabar, no pasture, no communication. We could not save ourselves. There's nothing Mephibosheth could have done. And God shows up to us and says, you will get what you don't deserve. Yes, you deserve death. 
Yes, in normal circumstances, this king would kill this person, but I'm here to show you incredible kindness and bring you to a seat at my table. And friends, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. Amen? And here's the thing I want to do today because there's different types of people in this room and watching online, okay? So the first type of person who needs this message today is the person who either walked away from their faith and feels undeserving. They feel like, you know, they, they deserve death. God's not on their side. I want you to understand this. If you don't know Christ or walked away, that today is your day, that, that God wants to bring you not, not close to him to punish you and tell me how bad you are and what you haven't done. He wants to bring you to eat at the table through the gospel. The second group in here are those who profess Christ, and they say, yes, I am a Christian, a follower of Christ. But there's, I mean, you love church, you love preaching, and you're kind of like, yeah, it's all cool, and kind of come and go, and blah, blah, but, but you're really not, you're not overwhelmed by the love of Jesus Christ, and that you were so, that you, you don't see yourself as Mephibosheth. You think you're just a good person, and you go to church, and you kind of adopted the Jesus thing on, like, if you lived in the Middle East, you'd probably be Islamic or be Muslim, right? Like, that's what you would do. You're cultural, right? I want God to spark something in you today, right? And for the third group in here, you, you do and you are overwhelmed by the love of Christ. And, and I think this message here could be most dangerous for you who consider yourself mature in the faith. Because over time, you know it. You know you're undeserved. You, you, you know the gospel. You know, you know substitutionary atonement. You know all the big words. You know all of those things. But here's the deal. You're not overwhelmed with the love of God. And you're not overwhelmed by his kindness. You know why? Because you're not kind to others. You're cynical. You're rude. You're demanding. You're controlling. You're angry. And so even though you have been in church many years, you're not overwhelmed to the point that it flows out of you. And that's what David was. David was so overwhelmed with the kindness of God, he wanted to go show, show someone else kindness that didn't deserve it. Some of us, we only show people who we think deserve kindness, we show them kindness. And what I wanna do is draw that parallel of the gospel today, and I want whatever group you're in today for the Lord to speak to your heart. And if you have your notes, write this down, because this is very important, and here's today's big idea, is that the gospel is that God has given everything to us who don't deserve anything. That is the gospel. The gospel is not Jesus came to make good people better. The gospel is not Jesus came to give us good teachings and make us good. The gospel is we didn't deserve anything. We deserve death. And the king shows up at our door. We're all crippled, had no, no place, no hope, no future. And he says, I'm choosing you. You're like, what do I have to offer? Exactly. Come sit at my table. And Amen. And before we can ever get there, though, we have to understand something very important. You say, I think I know this. You have to understand how undeserving you are. You've got to let it sink in that you were or you are Mephibosheth. And Paul makes this clear to, to the, the church at Rome in Romans 3, 9, and 10. Now, realize what's happening when Paul writes in the New Testament to the church at Rome. A lot of Jews there. And these Jews believe, hey, man, I am right with God because I'm a Jew. Right? They weren't Christians. They're like, hey, listen, and you have first and foremost, they were Jews first. We're right with God because we're just Jews. Paul's like, No. Your very problem is you think you're good. That's the reason the gospel can't reach your heart fully because you're still relying upon your morality. And look what he says to these people here who are Gentiles and Jews, but he's like, let me just explain to you. Well, then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? They're like, yeah. 
Like, we're God's chosen. And look how he answered. He says, no, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the same power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. And before you can come to Christ or appreciate Christ or show that kindness to others, you and I have to come to that point saying, man, how undeserving am I? Man, what a sinner such as I that the Lord would pursue me, come find me, and bring me to his table. And that is the gospel. And look at, look at what the beautiful part is of God's kindness to us. And Jesus shares this with his listeners in Matthew 7, 9 through 11. He says, you parents, he's talking to the parents of the crowd. If your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do they give them a, steak, a snake? I love a steak, right? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? God wants to show you his kindness through the gospel, his incredible kindness. And he wants you to understand that when he grips your heart, he wants to transform your life. That's what the gospel is, right? He wants to transform you. And my fear is that so many of us think that Christianity is, a, is another religion that is just self-help to be good enough to get to God, or it just came to give us seven great tips on how to be better people, and that's not what it is. What God wants to do through the gospel is a complete renovation of your life and your heart, which is a lifelong renovation. And, and, and I want you to write this down, this is important, because if we don't see ourselves in this story, we will think that Christ came to make us good instead of being vessels for his glory. He didn't come to make you good. He came to make you a vessel for his glory. He came for this so that you would be like David after you've experienced the kindness of God like Mephibosheth. That you then would be a representative of the gospel, a transformed heart and life. And that you would show the same kindness that Jesus has shown you. You know, um, our campus pastor over at Richmond, Mark Thomas, has this thing called evangelism on fire. And he's all about evangelism. You think, well, maybe he's just all about evangelism. But when you talk to Mark and you ask him, why do you go out to the bus stop and show your faith? Or why do you just feel like the Lord wants to lead you to Walmart to go show your faith? Just walk up, you know, whoever is there, God leads them and guides them. And the answer is not primarily, as we talked about this on a trip one time, he said, well, it's not just so people can get saved. Well, that's what it is, right? He said, God's been so incredibly good and kind to me. and He rescued me on a deathbed that I've got to go and share his kindness with others. Friends, that's what it means when God renovates your heart not and you're a vessel for his glory, that you realize that God wants to use you to show that same kindness to others. See, the Lord didn't come in just to renovate your house. He came in to knock the whole thing down and build something brand new. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians, that he, he came, right, to make us a new creation, a, a new creature in Christ. And the old is gone, it's passed away, and behold, the new has come. And that's what the gospel is when you encounter the incredible kindness of God through Christ. So what are we gonna do? I want you to write this down, this is very important. Is live an overwhelmed life because of the overwhelming love of Christ. An overwhelmed life. See, see being overwhelmed, when you've experienced great injustice, it, it weighs on you, don't it? Your brain is just cranking with cortisol and you're overwhelmed. And when you've experienced great kindness, it's also overwhelming. 
And when something's overwhelming, it means that you, you just can't take it, good and bad. And when you've encountered the gospel, his love becomes so overwhelming that you want to just live that out for him and do everything you can for him. It's a different mindset. And I believe so many believers don't live an overwhelmed life. I believe they're overwhelmed, overwhelmed by stress, by negative thoughts about the future. They're worried about things that are never going to happen. They're overwhelmed with being mean and angry to other people, especially Christian and Christian. They're overwhelmed with vengeance and justice. But how many of us would actually say, man, I live an overwhelmed life because of the, the overwhelming love of Jesus Christ for me? And I want to show you a picture of the gospel again in Romans. Paul shows us this, and he's speaking to the church at Rome again, which Romans is probably the greatest book in the New Testament to understanding the gospel. If you want to read one comprehensive book, it's Romans. And he says this to the church at Rome again. He says, when we were utterly helpless, we were Mephibosheth, right? Crippled feet, Lodabar, no communication, pasture, isolated, alone. Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people uh, would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good, right? You're like, hey, if that person's great, I would die for them. But look what he says here. But God showed us his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet still sinners. Do you know that you were an enemy of God before you accepted Christ as your Savior? Paul says in Colossians. If you don't know God today or know Christ, um, I'm not being mean, this is not for me, so to go read the Bible and, and you get mad at God and scream at him, don't evil eye me. If you don't know Christ, God says you're an enemy of God. You're serving the wrong kingdom. We're not all children of God. We're creations of God. Jesus says in Romans 1, 12, he, he will give anyone and everyone the right to become children of God who believe upon Christ. That's the gospel. And it says here, and I love to say, you have to realize that God died for you while you were his enemy. Like Christ died for you, came after you. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored, it was restored. You're not a friend of God before you know Christ. This was restored by the death of his son while we were yet so enemies. Enemies. I'm not an enemy. I tell you. That's not me, y'all. That's God saying that. Stop looking at me like that. Now I'm telling you. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. That is, this is 2 Samuel 9. This is what this is. And I want you to understand again that God showed his incredible kindness to you through the gospel. That you didn't deserve this new life. You didn't deserve purpose. You didn't deserve the Holy Spirit. You didn't deserve, no, I didn't deserve it. And at my lowest point where I had nothing to offer God, he's like, I want him. I mean, it's like, imagine you're back in grade school picking kickball teams. And you got this really, really awesome, amazing kid that's like the kickball captain, you know, the king. He can do it all. She can do it all, whatever, right? And you know you're the worst. You're terrible. You're scared of the ball. You can't kick very well. And they, they choose you first. That's what God did for us. 
we often think, man, if that person got saved, God could really use them. God's like, that's the very person that I will not be able to use. It's the people you never think that God can use, that God says, I think I'll choose that one. I'm gonna make you a vessel of my glory. I'm gonna confuse these religious people who think they're so good, and I'm gonna use this prayer. That was my story. I was voted most likely to die by 26 in my class. And people in my town couldn't believe I got saved. And the people in my church couldn't believe that the Lord was like, he like poured his spirit on me. I, I mean, I had leopard print hair and piercings, and this was a, a, a Sunday traditional church. Everybody wore suits and ties. And they're thinking, how in the world, how in the world is God using this guy? It can't be possible. That's what the Lord loves to do. We look at celebrities like, well, if that celebrity got saved, man, he'd be, and God's like, that's the way you think. I want Mephibosheth. I want the one who can offer nothing so I can show my glory through him. And that's what God will do with us, amen? So there's three things I want you to be overwhelmed by to get to that point to live this out. The first one is be overwhelmed by his great love. You gotta amuse and think about this. You need to put music on in the car and think about the great love and faithfulness and goodness of God. Some of your minds are so rattled by worries, fears, and anxieties. What you don't have, what you need. I mean, aren't you? And you're always in this negative quadrant and God's saying, man, you need to just... You need to just put some worship music on and start thinking about my goodness and my faithfulness and my love for you. And I'm telling you, all that other stuff, that's, 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 if you focus on the faithfulness of God, you can't worry. Right. You start rehearsing that. The second thing is this, be overwhelmed by how undeserving we are. None of us deserved Christ. None of us did. I especially didn't. And he said, that's the guy, that's the girl. That's who I want. And if you feel like you're undeserving and you're not, you, I'm just not good enough, why would God want to use me? That's actually a really good place to be. You can't stay there. But that means God wants to use you because he wants to confound the people who think they're wise with things that they think that are foolish. And that's how God works. And then finally, this is what we all should want to do. Be overwhelmed with wanting to share that love. I don't care how much Bible you know. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how much self-control you have. If you are a jerk to people, you don't know the kindness of God like you should. And like with me, if you struggle with those things like anger, like I've dealt with in my life, it goes back to a root. I was not overwhelmed with the love of Jesus. I didn't have compassion upon others. And empathy and compassion is something that People in this world need from us as followers of Jesus. Well, I'm just not that person. I didn't grow up that way. Well, you know, good for you. Keep being a jerk. I'm sure everybody want to follow Jesus while they're around you. <laughs> remember, 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 God didn't come to make you good. And whatever you're naturally not good at, the Holy Spirit supernaturally can do that in your heart if you let him. I'm naturally not that person. But God has been shaping me and I'm slowly getting there. Why? Because the overwhelming love of Christ, I know I don't deserve it. And now, man, I want to share that kindness to people I come in contact with. Amen. I want to be David to the Mephibosheths of the world and show them the people who are undeserving the kindness and goodness of God. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray that each one of us in here would have a refreshing view of the gospel. 
that we would not let this churchianity, Lord God, rule our life of just trying to be good people and do good things and just go to church, but God, we would truly be followers of you where we have been gripped by your love, we have been forgiven much, so we want to love and worship much, God. And I pray today that there'll be a spark in people's hearts that, Lord, they didn't deserve it, they deserved death, they were enemies of God, and you pursued us. Awaken our hearts, God, to that. And Father, I pray that we would be vessels of your glory, not just good people. That we want to go out and, Lord, be conduits for that, that kindness that you've shown us. That mercy that you've shown us. That compassion that you've shown us. May we be that to those around us, Lord. To make Christ attractive. To draw them in, Lord. I pray for that. And Jesus, we all thank you for your great love. And right now, where we're praying today, church, maybe you were in that first group that I talked about this morning. That you maybe walked away from your faith, gave up on it, got hurt. Or maybe you've never surrendered to Jesus. You just like church and go to church. But you've never been overwhelmed by receiving Christ. No matter what camp you're in there, God today wants to welcome you to his table through Christ. He wants to show you his kindness and his goodness through Christ. So right now where you're sitting, whether you're watching online, you're in here physical today, I want you to pray this prayer after me, and this is receiving Christ. This is you receiving God's invitation to the table. It's all you have to do. You say, God, I accept your invitation to the table through Jesus Christ. For I believe Christ is Lord. I repent and leave my old life. And I welcome this new life. Today, save me. For I believe Christ died on the cross. I believe he rose again on the third day. Today, I live for you. Thank you, I'm no longer an enemy, but now I'm called your friend. And it's in Jesus' good name we pray. Amen.